Our first scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our second verse is Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You might have heard this quote before. It's a, it's a quote uh, attributed to St. Augustine, alternately known as St. Augustine. And it says this, The one who sings prays twice. Now, I know you've heard that before because a few months ago, Pastor Scott used that in worship and reminded us of that quote. Augustine lived in the 4th and 5th century A.D., and that quote has been uh, mentioned in the church pretty much since then, and it resonates with a lot of people. Its basic meaning is this. If you sing a song of praise to God, you're singing a song, but it also is, in fact, a prayer. So you're praying twice. Here's an example of a song that you have probably heard of where you're also praying it as you sing it. Back when you probably had longer hair. In the year 1972, there was a song that nearly topped the Billboard Hot 100 charts. And the song was known as Day by Day. It was from the musical Godspell. A hippie fest of a musical, if you ever saw one. Written by Stephen Schwartz. And raise your hand, I'm not going to call on you to do this, but raise your hand if you could sing this for us right now. Just raise your hand. Okay. Clearly said, this side of the room can sing it. Brian, you've, you've heard that, so, so if we ever want to try that one. I think, uh, did, uh, did Whoopi Goldberg do it in Sister Act? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Something, something to research. Anyway, here it is. Here are the lyrics. Day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day. Now, what comes as a surprise to even many devout Christians is that if you are singing that song, you are actually praying a prayer that has been around for centuries. Those words are taken from a prayer attributed to the 13th century English bishop, Richard of Chichester. 
It's been in the church. In front of the, the Book of Common Worship, which is the, the book that helps guide our worship as Presbyterians, there are a few uh, prayers listed that are designed to kind of encourage us into a spirit of worship. And that prayer from Richard of Chichester is there. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly. Notice the addressing of thee. For those of you who weren't around in 1972, the word thee means you. And when it's addressed in this way, it's addressing God. And that, in fact, is the definition of prayer. So this summer, we're coming to the conclusion of a sermon series we've called Expand the Emoji. What do we mean by this? Well, it's simply that in our modern lives of of, uh, texting one another back and forth, uh, there's a pastime that that has, has emerged, and that is that, that we see this emoji that looks like two hands together, looks like a form of prayer, and uh, many times when we want to share with someone that we're praying for them, or that they are in our hearts and we care about them, we might actually just select that emoji and click send. But is that the end result of prayer? Is that where prayer starts and finishes? Or is it just the beginning of a doorway that we can walk into and explore various ways of prayer and spending time in deep prayer? And we've subtitled our series, Leveling Up Our Prayer Life with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is known for many memorable verses that encourage us to pray. And we've been focusing on those one week at a time through most of the summer. We're going to review a couple of those right now, just in case you forgot or you were on vacation. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now this is only a sample of what Paul wrote about prayer. But what did he do? Do we ever see the Apostle Paul actually praying? Did he actually listen to his own advice? Cut to a scene when he and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi. Now some of you know the context of our scripture today from Acts 16. And you know that an earthquake is about to happen. And the chains that are holding Paul and Silas to the prison cell are going to break loose. And yet they are not going to run away. They're going to stay right there. 
because God is doing something amazing in their midst. And there is a jailer who witnesses them, thinks that his life is in jeopardy because the prisoners might escape, but the prisoners don't escape because they are there to make sure he knows about the message of Jesus Christ. And he comes to believe. He says, how can I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And right there, he follows Christ. But here's the thing. In verse 25 of chapter 16, Paul and Silas don't know that that's going to happen. They're in prison. They don't know how long. You know, back then, it kind of stands to to be reminded that they didn't really treat prisoners very well. And yet we read this verse, verse 25, about midnight, middle of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, when Paul and Silas were in prison... Which, by the way, was a common experience for many followers of Christ for the first three centuries of the church. They dedicated themselves in that moment to praying and singing together. Not just prayer, as if they had to hide their faith, but they sang together. The other prisoners heard them. So many times, the singing of songs, of praise to God, causes people, in the biblical text, Old Testament and New Testament, causes people to wonder, what in the world is going on here? And they find out because of the words that are being sung. They hear the gospel anew. You know, the... the, the, father of the church named Tertullian, who lived in those first 300 years of the church, who was imprisoned for his faith, he uh, wrote this quote. He said, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. When the heart is in heaven through the singing of songs to the Lord. And so... Looking at how the Apostle Paul sang and prayed, and this is only the kind of the, the beginning of, of understanding the importance of both prayer and song in the early church. Praying to the Lord, seeking God's guidance, and singing together. It happened all the time in the early church. We pause to consider what it means. To sing our prayers. The title of the sermon is When in Doubt, Sing. If you don't know what to pray, sing it. You probably know some prayers that are direct addresses to God that are sung to a tune. We rehearse them every week. Listen to Colossians 3, 16 and 17. This is, again, more encouragement from the Apostle Paul. But more specific, you can, you can tell the connection between what Paul and Silas were doing and what Paul is inviting the Colossians to do and us to do as well. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, in Greek, the, uh, you can, if you can sound out the Greek text, you recognize words all over the place in this phrase. Because psalms is psalmos and hymns are hymnos, those two words in the English we get from the Greek. And then also, the, uh, the spiritual songs is actually, it's odes pneumatakis, and odes is ode. That's an ancient word uh, that sometimes has been used of poetry, but also in songs. You would write an ode or sing an ode. That's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dedication. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really praise of someone or of their great qualities. And, and that is in fact what we do when we sing praises and hymns to the Lord. And there's no better place to go in scripture to find psalms, hymns, and spiritual odes than the psalms themselves. Psalms, variably called the prayer book of the Bible and the psalm book of the Bible, the song book. So you've got a song book that's filled with prayers to God. You've got a prayer book that in Hebrew worship, people sang. And in large parts of the church today, people still sing those prayers to God. In fact, more than half of the 150 psalms Feature language that is a direct address to God. It's as if you're starting out saying, Dear God, O Lord, our Lord. And many of these psalms have been set to music. I want to share with you a history uh, of what's called the Psalter. Now, the Psalter is not some, like, place where you, like, would, say, salt your meal with a salt shaker. Uh, The Psalter begins with a P, and it's P-S-A-L-T-E-R. The Psalter is the name of, basically, the songbook that features the song, the Psalms. And it has been very important in the history of our tradition, the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Church. Protestant churches. John Calvin wrote this. When we have looked thoroughly everywhere and searched high and low, we shall find no better songs nor more appropriate to the purpose than the Psalms of David, which the Holy Spirit made and spoke through him. Calvin, in his leadership of the church in Geneva, Switzerland, promoted the formation of what was called the Genevan Psalter. These were the psalms of Scripture sung to simple melodies. And the key thing about those simple melodies were they were connected with the culture. They were in the Genevan Psalter. Some of you know your geography pretty well. <clears throat> Geneva is Switzerland, but it's not in the, in the cowbell skiing part of, of Switzerland. It's in the very close to France uh, side of Switzerland, and so John Calvin, uh, his name was Jean, uh, he spoke French, wrote in French, 
uh, and, uh, and the Genevan Psalter set the tunes of the Psalms to French songs that regular people would sing. And they could, because they were so simple, they could be sung without accompaniment. And Calvin and other church leaders were so excited about this because the simple tunes would enable God's people to sing prayers to God throughout their day, day in and day out. Worship, then, would never end. And, you know, in the Reformed tradition, worship doesn't end. We gather together for a particular purpose, but when we leave here, worship keeps going. We keep praising the Lord. And the more that the, that the psalms and songs that are in prayer form or prayers that are in song form, the more those are on our hearts, the more the worship of the church continues. Now, this continued in the Presbyterian tradition in such a way that, that for centuries and centuries... Psalms are all we sang. One Presbyterian scholar puts it this way. Until the Civil War, the various Presbyterian bodies used psalms predominantly, only singing hymns now and then, especially in informal gatherings. Have you ever, do you remember the worship wars? We just, okay, a few years ago, there was a big worship war between traditional hymns and contemporary praise songs. They were called the worship wars. And you know what we've done with that here at North Creek? We've been like a bullfighter. You know how the bullfighter waves that, the, the, the red uh, uh, flag right there? Okay, and just, just kind of lets the bull just charge right past. That's what we've done with the, with the worship wars. Because we sing hymns, and we sing praise songs, and we, we sing praise songs in, tr- in reverent ways, and we sing uh, traditional hymns in rocking ways. By the way, that traditional hymn in a rocking way, that was rocking. That was incredible. I love that. But what's interesting in, this, uh, in that kind of time when it was like, oh, the traditional conservative uh, worshipers versus the, versus the up-and-coming, and it was hippies, right? <laughs> it was the feel right around 1972. Maranatha Music started publishing a lot of stuff. And I know, Mary, you learned all of those songs. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. And, and we've, we've sung those along as praise courses. To some of those, we've memorized them. Because we sung over and over again. It might have been when you were in young life in high school. Or it might have been when you were at a Christian camp. You know those songs in your heart. Because they're psalms. And they're to simple tunes for a purpose. So that when you are in that place, just you and God, or you and other Christians, away from the body, right? You, you are able to praise God with those words. You see, both Luther and Calvin in the Protestant Reformation, they reacted against something that had happened in the church. Singing had been taken away from the people in the pews. The singing was done by the priest and cantors and choirs. And it wasn't your all's area of worship. It was someone else's job to do. Well, Luther and Calvin thought, well, that's not what we read biblically. God invites all of us to sing. And so, a little note about that. So, choir rehearsal for this next new year starts this Wednesday. <laughs> right? It does. It does. And, and Joe, you're going to be there, right? Yes. So, there, there are... Uh, so, raise your hand if you're going to come to that choir rehearsal. Yes. Thank you. Big round of applause for those who are going to be in the choir this year. 
Okay. So, a note about that. If you're in the choir, you have a similar role to our worship and music director, our other musicians that lead up front, also similar to the pastor and other worship leaders who stand up front. We are all here, and we rehearse, and we practice, and we, and we, uh, and we hone our skills to lead you in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. If you are in that formal ministry, your role is in a servant role to encourage the entire body to sing. Now, some of you I know are saying, Kurt, I don't sing. And I'm going to tell you that if you can't sing, you can rap. <laughs> Trust me on this. Tal, you know I'm right. You know I'm right. Tal is, is a famous rapper up on this stage a couple of times uh, during North Creek's life. You can rap. There are actual kind of music history expositions of rap music. When you try to get back to what was the origin of rap, you, you get to gospel singing where the song itself, some of them in actual voice from us to God were spoken over music in the background. That is one theory on the birth of rap as an art form. So all you have to do is you don't have to necessarily even sing the words. Just say them. And you're a rapper. But you're rapping with God. You know, the church I grew up in uh, was a uh, Presbyterian church in West Seattle. Westside Presbyterian Church. Some of y'all have some experience in that church. Uh, there, was a, there was an actual hall that was called Rap Hall. And I think what really inspired that was... Rapping with God. It's another word for saying talking with God, which is another word for prayer. Even Martin Luther's best-known hymn, A Mighty Fortress, was actually an exposition of a psalm. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I was reflecting on our worship last week and, and uh, noted how we sang Psalm 8. And uh, the words are right out of Psalm 8 in the lyrics. O Lord, our Lord, oh how awesome are your ways. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. O Lord, our Lord, may we see your kingdom come. Father, may your will be done in all the earth. That is a direct address of God. When we sing that together, we are praying in song. And I want to encourage you to consider how the music of prayer in song can transform your spiritual life. The number of songs that you have in your heart, in your mind, that you can memorize or be reminded of or even play a recording of during a prayer time, that can enrich your spiritual life it can enrich your conversations with god 
And you're not just making that up. I'm not just making that up. I hope we've made the point today, keying off of the Apostle Paul, for whom singing went right along with praying, and also the Psalms that are the songbook and the prayer book of the Bible, that in a sense, we maybe were never intended to develop a prayer life devoid of musical accompaniment. When I think about how, just how powerful this has been for me, I, I thought to myself, well, is there a psalm that kind of comes back to me over and over again? And there is one. And it's often been one that I've started out my prayers with. And it comes from Psalm 5. Some of you have sung this before. I'm not going to sing it for you today. I'm going to wrap it for you. <laughs> Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer up to thee and will look up. I've memorized that psalm. And sometimes in prayer I sing that psalm from Psalm 5. I sing it as I learned it from those who learned it on a guitar and sang it in our high school youth group. And it retreats out of a Maranatha songbook. And so, in closing, I want to encourage you that when you're in doubt, when you don't know words to pray, sing. Sing psalms. Sing hymns. Sing songs in the Spirit with gratitude in your hearts to God. Amen.